0: Father, my heart is humbled before you this morning. To know that when I was an enemy of God, when I was lost and broken and rebellious, when my heart has run a thousand miles in every direction but towards you, you, Died for me. Jesus, you counted my life worthy. Jesus, you you called me a, a treasure. Oh, how great is the love of God toward us. Father, in this tender, holy moment, I ask that you would minister to our broken hearts the deep truth of the depth of your love for us. Of the way you value us, that you have adopted us as daughters, and you love us the way you love Jesus. Father, I pray that you would continue um, to speak a message of grace. Father, I ask that you would use even me this morning to share um, a message from the depths of your heart. God, we love you. We need you. We long to be closer to you. Draw us there, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In high school, I was a softball player. And I was that girl on the team who was uh, really enthusiastic. Could you imagine? Me? And I, at every single practice, I worked hard, I gave it all that I had. You know what I mean? Like, I was that kind of girl, like, when we started doing conditioning in February, and we were doing aerobics, and our aerobics instructor was saying, get those knees up high, girls. Man, my knees were higher than anyone else's knees. I had my little ponytail bobbing in the rhythm. I was having the time of my life. And as a a member of the team, I really saw it as my personal responsibility to be the image of Christ to my teammates. Like, I just, I had a passion for them to know the Lord. And I figured that if I worked harder on the ball field than anyone else, <laughs> that they would be like, you know, Judy's the real deal. You know, I had, I had Bible verses written on my glove, my softball glove. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, you know. Um, and I was just like, this is, this is my ministry. This is my calling. And I, l- I was also a, a pretty good athlete. Um, and so I played on this team for four years in high school, and we were always favored to win Europe. You know what I mean? Like we were going to be the, the European champions in softball. It's not a huge deal. It's like, you know, it's the Europe military community. It's not like, you know, we're playing against... You know, the Dutch team, all 6-4 and, you know, whatever. But I don't even know if they had a team. But anyway, we, we were always favored to win. And my teammates and I, we, we worked so hard. We literally played over 100 games in our season. We, we played for six months of the year. We played in two leagues. We played in the league against our high school um, like cohorts against other high schools, American high schools in Germany. And we played against m- women in the military. We were in, like, a, the women's military league. So... We're like these little high school students who are playing against, you know, army women, you know, and so it, pre- it was pretty awesome, you know. We had a lot of experience, and, and um, we got to catch a lot of fly balls, and so it was after my junior year, and I remember, it's the military community, and so like by the time we got to the championship games, I, I say championship. It's really not a huge deal. It's not a big deal. I mean, like it's the military community. Think small. Don't think big. Okay, so we got to the championship game, and by the time we got there, our shortstop had had to go back to the States. Like, I don't know if she's going to college or whatever, but she, she, wasn't, any, she wasn't with us anymore. And so I, who played left field for um, all of high school, uh, I had to move in to play shortstop. And um, shortstop, to me, was a very boring position. It was always the same thing to do. Ground ball, throw to first, ground ball, throw to first. Right? Out in left field, you got to catch, like, fly balls, and every play you made, you were amazing, you know what I mean? Like, they're like, they don't expect you to be able to catch. I don't know. But, like, so, like, everything you did, like, and I, I remember sometimes, I'm, I'm kind of rambling now, sorry, but I remember, like, jumping, you know, just to make it look better. You're know, like, wow, Judy's, <laughs> Judy's a good athlete, you know? I don't know, y'all. I was a mess. I still am. But anyway, I was playing shortstop. We had literally had to get, like, one more out. And then we were going to be it. We were going to get that first place trophy for the first time ever. And the, the long fly ball was heading out to left field. There stood Melissa DeBolt, who was our catcher, was now playing my position in left field. There stood Melissa DeBolt and I turned around and I was like, she's got this. This is an easy catch. This is just a pop up. Left field. And I'm like, you know, making acceptance speeches. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how I'm going to lead the prayer time with our team, you know, thanking God, ready to start press play on the We Are the Champions tape that I had, cassette tape. And, <laughs> and, I, and I see this long fly ball, and I'm like, if she just stays where she's at, she's going to catch this ball. She just has to, she has to keep her feet planted right there. Wouldn't you know it? She starts running toward me. at I'm like, no, no, Melissa, stay where you're at. That ball sailed right over her head. And I was thinking, man, if I was out there, I would have caught that ball because I had caught that ball hundreds of times. It was an easy catch for someone who played left field. But for someone who spent their time behind home plate, it wasn't an easy catch. And we lost. And my little cassette... Of We Are the Champions, (laughs) mocked me on the long drive back to Heidelberg. (laughs) And all this to say there is a place for you in the body of Christ. That is your place. There is a role for you. That is your role to play. And we need you. We need you. If my friend Demetrix was still at, at shortstop that day playing the position that she played better than anyone else on the team, and I was still out there in left field playing the position I played better than anyone else on the team, then maybe I would have caught that ball and I would have been able to make that acceptance speech and tell these girls it was all for the, gl- the glory of God because I believed it in my heart. But that's what we're going to talk about today, is that God has given you a very special place within our community, and we need you. We need you. Let's read. Um, Okay, so last night, I don't know if you guys were like, kind of like, wait a second, there's something wrong here. I was probably reading to you from the message, and I think it was um, the New Living Translation. Anyway, I, I like the message sometimes for stories anyway, so um, actually I like it, period. I don't usually speak out of it, but I, I do like it. Anyway, so forgive me if you were like, whoa, I'm kind of freaking out here. Those words are not the same as what Jesus is reading. It was still from the Bible. It's just the message Bible. <laughs> okay, Romans chapter 11. It says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. And so, dear brothers and sisters, Romans 12, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So here we have the introduction of a discourse on the ways in which God is going to change our minds. He needs to rewire our thinking. We have thought for so long that life is about me, and it's for me, and I need to watch out for me, that God needs to take the me out of me and replace it with himself. So we begin our readings with a reminder of who God is. Romans 11 ends with, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. We need to remember that God is great. Okay, do you get it? Like, For us to go into um, Romans chapter 12 and think about all the things that God is calling us to do and to be as his church, we need to first have our minds in the right place. We need to have the right perspective on who is God. You know, I need to know that God is God and I am not. I don't sit on his throne. I don't give him advice. I don't instruct him on how he's supposed to make the world move. I don't even know if the sun stays in one place or if it moves. My son told me it moves. I don't know. God knows all of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I am not God. And so for me to begin to have my life's perspective change, I need to have a better understanding of who God is. I need to have a better perspective, a godly, a biblical perspective on who is God. You know, I think we, we kind of try to flesh out things so much. You know what I mean? Like, we just try to be better, do better. I just want to be a better person. I just want to be a better Christian. But, but if we don't begin first with the foundation of this closing verses of chapter 11, then um, it's not going to last because I'm still sitting on my throne, right? I mean, I'm the one who's making the changes in me. Does that make sense? If I need God, thanks, Michelle. If I, I'm like, go on, girl. Help me out. If I need God, if I need God to rewire my thinking, then there is an essential problem that I'm dealing with. It's my mind. My mind is screwed up. I've got faulty thinking. And so God himself has to do that supernatural work in us. It is only God that can change this 39-year-old mind that has been thinking faulty things for 39 years. I can't just decide in one moment, okay, I'm, I'm going to start thinking better. Right? I need God to change me. And I need Him to do that first by giving me a better perspective of who He is. Who is God? You know, this morning when I got out of bed, it was God who was giving me air to breathe. It was God who was making my heart beat. It was God who was making my mind function, although if you talk to Melissa, it wasn't functioning well. Thank you, Holly, for your prayers. I need to know that my life is not about my glory or accomplishment. It's not for my own pleasure or to make my dreams come true. I need to know that I am not the hero of my story. I'm not the star of the show, not even Judy's show, not even Judy's world. It's not about me, it's never been about me. We begin begin our conversation about what it means to be a body with the idea that we are just a small part of the whole and that God himself is sustainer and creator. Does that help us with our perspective? Right, if we are a body, kind of takes the pressure off for me to know that God is sustainer and creator. You know, does, y'all have lived for a long time trying to be good enough. It has broken my heart over and over. But if I'm able to have that perspective that God is good enough, I can take a deep breath and say, okay, God, you do it you can use me but you do it I need you we exist by his power and we're intended for his glory let him have it all let him have all the power and the glory because it belongs to him and so Paul commends us to give our bodies to God because of all God has done for us so here we have this transition into chapter 12 God is amazing high and lifted up nobody's giving him advice Because of who God is, therefore, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The New King James Version, it says, which is your reasonable service. Present your bodies holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. This is the only reasonable response to God. I love that. It's reasonable. The only proper way to respond to the godness of God and the call of God, you can have me. I present my body to you. It's reasonable. I give it to you as a holy sacrifice. God has given us everything, so it is only right that we give everything back to him. In the NIV, this verse says, This is your true and proper worship. I love when Melissa and I were emailing back and forth, she she kept calling it musical worship. And I love that she did that because even in that tiny little phrase, Melissa herself was recognizing this is not the only worship that we do. You know? She's saying musical worship. That's a part of worship. But for me to present my body to Christ is my worship, is my spiritual act of worship every day. Every day we don't come together as a congregation and stir up praises. But every day I'm called to present my body a living sacrifice, which is my spiritual act of worship. So I think Melissa, in doing that, has the proper perspective. Um. Okay. So this is how we attribute worth and praise to God. This is our reasonable response. We give him all we have. It's that simple. He gave us Jesus. We give him us. Is that a fair deal? <laughs> it's not even a fair deal. It's not a fair deal. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Jesus. Jesus. Can I go any lower to say, Judy, can I dig? Thirty feet deep and say, Judy, it's not a fair deal, but it's the it's the invitation that we have because of all He has done for us. You can have me; I've got no right over me. You have won my heart. Just a few weeks ago, I was—we've been doing this Gen Hatmaker study, okay—and so it's kind of like if you do any Gen Hatmaker study, it's going to kind of. Ruffle your feathers, rock your world, challenge you, make you go home weeping and crying and wailing and selling all of your goods and giving to the poor, which is not a bad thing. But one thing that she was saying was she was saying that in the Passover supper, that as Jesus was there and he was breaking the bread and he was he was serving the cup, that he said, um, "Do this in remembrance of me." Okay, so you're like, okay, Jude, what are you getting at? We do that every week, right? huh oh, I'm not new. Okay, but. What was new to me was that she was saying that if this is the body of Christ broken, the blood of Christ poured out, do this in remembrance of me. And she was saying that... Well, I'll just read it to you because she probably says it better than me. She was saying that it was a continual action. That this do this in remembrance of me was not that happened just there in that upper room. But this is a doing this, continually doing. As you do this every day, doing this, broken and poured out remember me okay this is these are jen jen hatmaker's words and i I do recommend the book interrupted not only was communion a symbolic ritual but it was a new prototype for discipleship continuously make my sacrifice real by doing this very thing right that's what it that's what she's saying it means but what what was the very thing that jesus was doing he was becoming broken and poured out for hopeless people He was becoming a living offering, denying himself for the salvation and restoration of humanity. Obedience to Jesus' command is more than looking backward. It's a present and continuous replication of his sacrifice. We don't just simply remember the meal. We become the meal. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Doesn't this concept of being broken for others ring true? It's a spiritual dynamic manifested physically. Why is it so exhausting to uphold someone's heavy burden? Why are you spent from shouldering someone's grief or being an armor bearer? Why is it that lifting someone out of his or her rubble leaves you breathless? Because you are part of the body of Christ, broken and poured out, just like he was. Mercy has a cost. Someone must be broken for someone else to be fed. The sermon that changed your life, the messenger was poured out so you could hear it. The friends who stood in the gap during your crisis each embraced some sacrifice of brokenness for your healing. Anytime you say, that fed me, that nourished me, someone was broken bread for your fulfillment. Jen Hatmaker's words challenge and convict me. To follow Jesus' command, to do this in remembrance of me, means that we need to live our lives broken and poured out. We lay our lives out before God and we say, You are Lord, You lead. We present our bodies as living sacrifices because this is the way we worship God. We say to God, You can take me use me, broken and poured out, to serve the broken, to befriend the lonely. This is not a comfortable place to be all the time. I've been there. I experienced that. I experience it right now as I share with you. You know, to say, to, to, to say, God, I'm willing to be broken and poured out, puts you in a place of vulnerability. And it also puts you in a place of being spent. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want you to think, like, there was a, a couple Sundays ago, there were several women that I loved that, that needed prayer. And I was teaching um, a, a class or journey group. There, 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 there were several day, moments in that day where I was just broken and poured out and at the end of the day I was tired I'll be honest with you to say, to say yes you go and be broken and poured out and God is just going to give you supernatural energy and at the end of the day you're just going to be running around just, it's, I'm not, that would not be true that would not be an honest statement to say that I'm willing to stand before you and be broken and poured out also says that I'm willing to stand before you in a place of vulnerability and that when I leave here Satan may mess with me because of what I told you. I'm willing to go there. Because God has given me a message. You know what I mean? To say I'm willing to be broken and poured out means to say I am willing to go to battle for your heart. And in a battle, there are casualties. People get wounded. It means I'm willing to go to the front lines, Broken and poured out because that's what Jesus did for me. And that's what he is calling the body of Christ to do. Not just me. Not just Danielle who has to live this radical life of faith following a man of faith. It's the body of Christ that needs to be broken and poured out. So as we consider that okay God you're calling me to live this life of broken and poured out we're going to look and we're going to see how is this going to happen what is what are the tools that God gives me to live broken and poured out when i get broken and when i start pouring out what's going to what's going to fall on people <laughs> You know what i mean like is it what's going to just gush out of me What what have you given me God to give away Do you know what i'm saying Am I going to just be broken and poured out in the slobbering mess? No, that's not, that's not the point. The point of broken and poured out is to say, God, whatever it is that you've given me, I will extend it as a gift to the body because it's not mine in the first place. And whether they reject me or accept me, whether the enemy messes with me or I'm shielded by this amazing angel army, I'm willing to go there. Why? Because it's my reasonable response to God. It's my reasonable response. All that God has done for me, what is he asking? He's asking for my heart. He's asking for my hands and feet. Romans 12, um, verse 2 says... Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Ah, Okay, let's just talk about something practical for a moment here, Judy. Stop being so intense. Y'all, I am very intense. Just be glad you don't have to live with me. God's will for you, good, pleasing, and perfect. Here's where Romans 12 becomes more specific. What does it actually look like? For me to walk according to God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. What does it mean for me in a practical sense? Uh-oh. Sorry, girls. I'm going to go back into too intense. I think that what we're going to see is he's going to show us that in the rest. This is kind of a discourse, um, this bit in Romans chapter 12, on what does it mean for us in a practical sense to live our lives broken and poured out as a body. Um, Romans 12 says, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. I love that Paul begins this with... uh, kind of a warning about for us to have a sober opinion of ourselves. Don't think you're better than you are. Don't. Why? Why would he begin his phrase with this? I kind of have a couple of ideas of why perhaps he may begin with have a sober opinion of yourself. I think the first thing is, if I have a sober opinion of myself, then I'm going to realize at a deeper level that I need the body of Christ. Right? Like, if I think that I can live this Christian life on my own, I've got this amazing faith, I've got my Bible, I have a couple of um, tunes on my iPod that encourage me In, in Jesus. I listen to Tim Keller sermons, which makes me awesome. Right? Like, if I think that you know, in my free time, I'm listening to, um, to uh, you know, sermons on the internet. Then I probably am, a pretty amazing Christian, right? Like, but I don't do that very much, so I'm not that awesome. But, but I mean, I think that I think this is a call to say, you're really, you can't do this by yourself. You know, back to considering the the ball field. It doesn't matter how good your shortstop is; it's everybody else on the team stinks. That shortstop needs to throw that ball somewhere. She can't go out there and be like, I'm just the best athlete y'all can have a seat. Right? And I think he's telling us this. You need each other. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's amazing if you have a strong faith. It's amazing if God has gifted you with 10 talents instead of 2. But your 10 talents need to be within the context of the body of Christ. Because you need the body of Christ. Not just because the body of Christ needs you. You need connectedness to the body. Um, Let me see if if I'm going to miss anything important. You may also pass judgment on your brothers and sisters and not value what they have to offer because you think you are so much better than they are. The bottom line in verse 5, and this is the part where it gets kind of intense for me, is that we are many parts and we belong to each other. We need each other. We, you heard that right. We belong to each other. I belong to you. You belong to me. Do you see? This is an interconnectedness. To say um, here in our culture where we as Americans, we, we strongly value our autonomy, we strongly value our independence and our freedom, that's the whole reason we became a country. This is, these are values that, we, that are instilled in us from very young. I can do it on my own. I can make it. My mom, she's like paranoid. Like, she's like, you have got to go to college because you have got to be able to support yourself because your husband might leave you someday right? Because that's what happened to her. So there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to college so I could be able to support myself, right? There's this, this independence this I've got to be able to support myself. I've got to be able to do it on my own. And here we are in the body of Christ and it's completely contrary. It should not be that way. We belong to each other. I need you. I need you to take care of my heart. Is that too much responsibility? You know what I mean? Like, my son, Zach, he belongs to me. He's my son. I gave birth to him. It was a very hard experience for both of us. (laughs) He, you laugh because you don't know about it. He belongs to me. I take care of him. I take care of him. I protect him. I teach him. If he gets hurt, if he's in a in a situation of danger, Mama Bear. Right? He's mine. Belongs to me. Y'all, that's what it is. We belong to each other. I want you to look at each other right now. I'm taking a, a cue from my pastor. And tell each other, I belong to you. Is it hard to say? Yes, thank you, Bethany. It is. It is. Because does saying that I belong to you mean that I have to trust you on a deeper level? Does it mean that in some place I am giving you authority over me? If I yield to the body of Christ, then what becomes of me? Myself. This is difficult teaching. I struggle with it too. To say that I belong to you means you have to care for me, you have to be responsible for me. So we belong to each other. And we've all been given gifts to serve the body. The gifts that God has given to me are not mine. They're yours. They're your gifts. What good is a gift of prophecy going to be for me? But it's for you. Right? What good is... I mean, these gifts that you have belong to me. We belong to each other. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6, it says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. This passage begins with, in his grace, God has given gifts. The gifts Of the Spirit are gifts of grace. You did not earn them. Right? This is a gift of grace. There was nothing that you did for God to be like, oh, well, you just logged 50 hours in your Bible this week. I am going to give you a gift of teaching. Right? Or this is a grace gift. So I want us to begin there because this. This brings us back to the very beginning about who is this thing about anyway? It's about God. So if God is high and lifted up and he is the giver of the gift, the gift is for the body of Christ, this is not really about me in any sense of the imagination. This is about God. The gift is from God. The gift is a gift of grace. And these gifts are not necessarily gifts according to your natural inclination or talent. These are miraculous gifts from a miraculous God. I remember the first time that I got to um, stand up in front of a group of people and pray. I was 21 years old on centrifuge staff. And I stood up there and I was standing in front of 700 people. that make your palms sweaty just thinking about it. And I got up there and I prayed. And I knew that God was blessing the prayer and blessing me. But this is a significant deal. Because you see, I am not the kind of girl that likes to be the center of attention. I spent my childhood hiding behind my mom's purse strap. I wore out more purses than I care to admit. I was there. I was that seven-year-old clinging, hiding behind that purse strap, so afraid that someone was going to notice me. And here I am as a 21-year-old girl for the first time in my life, standing in front of all these people to lead prayer. How many people don't even want to pray out loud in a small group? And here I am up there, in front of 700 people, it's a supernatural gift. As a 21-year-old as girl, God was cultivating me in me, that gift of prayer. He was cultivating in me that gift of prophecy and teaching. And it wasn't because I was outgoing. It's not even because I have an organized mind. I'm like an ENFP off the charts. INFP, really, but ENFP because of the cross. And that means that I'm just like scatterbrained. I'm not an engineer. Do you know what I mean? Like, my, I, like to, I like to flow with things. But here God has given me this gift. It's supernatural. I just want you to get that. Do you know what I mean? Because you might be like, well, I have a natural talent at music. Okay. Do you have a supernatural gift at leading worship? I don't want somebody that has a natural talent of music to be leading worship. It's not the same thing. You can be a mediocre musician and a fabulously anointed worship leader. You know what I mean. These gifts are supernatural. These gifts are not about you. They're about God. And in every way, God wants us to be pointed to him in the gift i still don't like to be the center of attention if we're at a party i'm not going to be the girl that gets up to play the game but i don't mind being here if god is going to be the center of attention and if god has given me a message i have to give it away they just want to play with the door it's fun when you, when you walk in the giftedness that God has given you, you will um, experience his presence and blessing in a way that will be extraordinary. You know what I mean? I don't know if you guys know it, but June doesn't know how to play the djembe. She didn't know how to hold the djembe on Friday night. Melissa had to show her. And, and have you noticed that she's awesome at it? These are supernatural gifts, girls. I asked June two weeks ago at a, par- at a birthday party, do you know how to play a djembe? She's like, I think I know what a djembe is. She's like, my husband goes to big, likes to go to marching bands. I was like, well, you've seen a marching band. She's like, I'll come and try it, right? And June, did you experience the blessing of God as you're up there, right? Right, girls? June said, well, okay, I will offer my body a living sacrifice, broken and poured out in front of this gym, by, gym bay, and if it doesn't work out, I'll go and have my seat. But if the Spirit of God comes upon me and gives me rhythm, then glory to Him and praise to Him. Y'all, that's a small thing to you. It's a huge thing to June, Because the next day of time, God asks her to do something, her answer is going to be yes, because He showed up. Right? These are supernatural gifts. If God is calling you or leading you or gifting you to do something, It's for him. It's for the body. It's so that we all together look more like Jesus. It's supernatural. Okay, so you're like, well, I don't really know what my spiritual gift is, right? Like, how am I going to know what my spiritual gift is? And I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, the spiritual gift inventories and all that kind of stuff... To me, they're a little—they're like—they're like probably a couple notches above those inventories that used to take in the Seventeen magazine when you were in high school. Paula remembers so though, she's probably going to blog about it in a couple days. And—and and th- 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 they're fun, you know—they're—they're they're kind of nice. And actually, they're notches above that, I say, because I think that they can provide some insight. You know what I mean? Like they're not—they're not worthless by any. Please don't hear me say that by any sense of the imagination. Take the test. It may help you to see what kind of makes your heart beat. You know what I mean? It might help you to see like what, what you are passionate about, to, place your, to, to, to be able to write it down, see it in black and white. I, Wow, I, I, must, I really do enjoy hospitality. That really does make my heart beat a little bit faster. So take those tests. But when you take those tests, don't just leave that paper sitting there on the table and go have coffee and not think about it again you know, begin to use those gifts. And sometimes beginning to use those gifts just is an act of obedience. I will try it. God God has given me an opportunity to play the djembe. Okay, I'll try it. As an act of obedience, I'll give it a shot. I don't know, I mean... The man house is kind of scary, but I think that God has given me a heart to serve the poor. But what is it going to be like for me to actually walk in there? I'll try it. I'll give it a shot. I'll try it on. Wow. This feels this feels pretty good. I feel the presence and the approval of God on me. I feel the power of the Holy Spirit in me. I might do this again. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to read to you a list of the spiritual gifts, and I think that Linda made copies. She's not able to be here because Josie got sick. But don't hand them out or anything, Danielle. I don't want them to have them right now. I want them to look at me, not that. Look at me, look at me, because I want to be the center of attention. No, I really don't. But these are some supernatural gifts. I want you to think about that. Just put in the back, in the front of your mind, that this is a supernatural gifts, okay? Because they might not, they might not all sound supernatural. You know? Tracy, her serving food, she loves that. She works so hard for us, you guys. Broken and poured out. But it's passion for her. Did you see that smile on her face last night as she was handing out rolls? (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? That's what happens when you say, yes, I will do this. It's it's something I'm, I'm called to do. There's a smile on your face handing out rolls when you do that. Cutting up lasagna. The gift of administration. The gift of apostleship or ministry or missionary. Craftsmanship. Um, Discernment. Evangelism. Exhortation. Faith. Giving. Hospitality, intercession, knowledge, leadership, music, prophecy or preaching, serving, shepherding, teaching, wisdom, miracles, healing, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Just let that stop. Let's just stop a minute and let these amazing supernatural gifts just kind of sink in. These are gifts of wisdom, healing, mercy, helping, service. It's supernatural gifts. When you do them, you experience the, the power of God through you. Don't you want that? Y'all, I'm a junkie on the power of God through me. Karen is too. I don't know where she went, but she's a junkie too. She loves to teach God's word. I guarantee you the reason she loves to teach God's word is because when she teaches, she feels his presence in a supernatural way. That's why I like to, besides the fact that I love you and I want to share the message with you, I get this extra bonus of the presence of God and just moving through me. It's a unique and beautiful thing. These are supernatural gifts. Imagine if all of these gifts are represented in our body. I'm not saying that they are, but just let's imagine. I just, I just uh, ch- ratted you out, Karen. You have to ask somebody later. Imagine if all the saints in our community were walking in the Holy Spirit with a transformed mind fixed on Jesus and just employing these gifts to serve the body. Imagine that. I want to see these gifts put to use. What is God stirring in you? What is he giving you a heart to step into and to do in his name? We are called to be in Christ. But doing is a natural outpouring of being. We don't just be, we do. For the longest time, my life message has been to abide in Christ, and it will be until my dying days. Abide in Christ, and you will bear much fruit. Our abiding yields fruit. These are supernatural gifts the Holy Spirit has given by His grace to everyone who is in Christ. The body needs you to use them in order to function. And as if this, you didn't think that was enough. We're going to read John 14. It's not I, I didn't give it to Wesley. John 14: 12 through 18, just listen. Most assuredly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking. He who believes in me, the works that I will do, he will do also, and greater works than these will He do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus said this. You will do even greater works than these. Honestly, I have read that passage so many times with unbelief and confusion in my heart. How in the world could we do even greater works than these? Because Jesus is going to the Father? Because he sends his Holy Spirit to live in the church? It's the church, the body of Christ that will do even greater works. Jesus' ministry was limited to a location. Here we have the body of Christ limited to the globe, right? Here we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in millions of believers. Yes. Yes. These greater things are possible. This is not Jesus talking hypothetically. This is Jesus saying to the church I am sending my spirit to live in you, to be in you. I'm not done here. I'm not leaving you an orphan. I am going to live inside your heart and life and soul. It's amazing. You see, the church itself is a miracle. The church itself is utterly holy and set apart. And that's us, ladies. That's me. That's you. That's us together in community. We are the bride of Christ. We are the fragrance of Christ. We are the pleasing aroma. We are the ambassadors of Christ to the nations. That's us. That's me. And we've spent so much time sitting in the pew saying, What will the church do for me? What am I going to get out of this church? We need to repent of that entire mindset. It is not about what will the church do for you, it is about what is it that God is calling you to do in the context of the body of Christ to bring glory and honor to his name. It's never about you. And I repent of saying, well, what's the youth group like? Or what's the children's ministry like? Or do they have ladies' coffee clutches? What is a clatch? I don't even know. Like, there's this sense of, what, is, what are they going to do for me? Girls, this is sojourn. There's not many of us. I need you to come here with the idea of what will you do for the church. Because our pastor worked 60 hours a week Lots of people ministering in their margins, like we call it in sojourn. And all I'm saying is, we need everyone to come to the table. You know, there are people in our community that are doing, you know that whole 20-80 principle that makes you want to vomit? 20% of the people in the church are actually giving money. 20% of the people are actually giving time. 80% sit and... Reap the benefit? We need to repent of 2080. The reason you're in sojourn is because you're not a 2080 person. I, d- I just put that out to you. I believe that about us. We're here because we're not 2080. We're here because we want to be 100 percent, 100 percent. That's the heartbeat of sojourn. We're not a big enough church where you can just come in and sit there. We need you to contribute. But I think the call of God for us today is to say, what is it God wants you to give to Sojourn Church? How is it that God wants to use you to make Sojourn Church look more beautiful in our city so that the lost are found? You know, if we lift Jesus' name high and lift it up, what does he promise? That he's going to draw all men to himself. But if I come in here with the idea that it's about me and it's for me and what will you do for me, then why would I lift up the name of Jesus when my hands are so full of lifting up the name of Judy? The call for us is to broken and poured out, give our lives to serve the body of Christ And with as a healthy body, we go into Lincoln Academy and we paint walls and we tutor kids. As a healthy body, we support financially missionaries like Monica and Melissa, Doug Weaver. As a healthy body, we give of our finances generously, because it's not yours, and your money's not about you, and it's not for you. It's for God, and it's always been for him, and it's always belonged to him. A, I've, I've, this guy, Bart Campolo, I worked for one summer, he said, it's not a matter of how much of your money are you going to give to God. It's a matter of how much of God's money are you going to keep. That's the proper perspective, right? And it's not a matter of how much of your life are you going to give to God. It's a matter of how much of God's life in you are you going to keep. Girls, if I learn anything in my life, I want it to, to be that my life is not about me. It's about Jesus, and it's for Jesus, and it's because of Jesus, and it's only through Jesus. And in Jesus, my life becomes strategic and significant. In Jesus, my life becomes not mundane, but it becomes supernatural. In Jesus, I experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. That one, that's the one I'm longing for. In the church gathered, I experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. God comes and meets with us, ladies. He comes and rubs shoulders with us in the body of Christ. This call saying we belong to each other. It's not about me. I live my life broken and poured out. Remember how David talks about the cutting room floor? The... Um, I want to just give one plug for the Holy Spirit that I'm not going to take off, that I'm not going to throw on the cutting room floor. Unless that we unless we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives, we are absolutely no good to anyone. If I say to God, You can have me, but the moment it feels uncomfortable, back off then I am not being the person that you need me to be. I am not being the person who will receive an abundant blessing from God. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us. He's not, Jesus is not your co-pilot. You don't even have any business behind the wheel. You hear me? It's the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to come and, and burn and, and, and purify and refine and, and fill me and remind me of who God is. Isn't that what he, Jesus said he was going to do? He's going to remind you of all the things that I've taught you. The Holy Spirit, I need the Holy Spirit to speak truth to my mind. I need the Holy Spirit to tell me, Judy, you need to go and say this word to this person because she's hurting. And in that moment, what am I going to say? Are you kidding me? She's going to think I'm nuts. This has happened to me quite a bit. And I go and I just say it, and I walked in obedience for that moment at least once, right? If if you're ever going to know really what this gifting is that you have, if you're ever going to walk in the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to you, you need to walk with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not safe. Like the whole Aslan thing, but he's good, right? It's not. It's not. The Holy Spirit's not going to just, you know. Oh, you know. Let's try to see how we can live a comfortable life. But that's, not what it's all about. That's not life. We need to completely redefine what we think life is, right? We need the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you. I don't know if, you, if you've read my blog, but there's this, um, this story about these trees that I wrote about, and. There are these these giant sequoia trees, and Jeff and I went out to go visit them, and um, they're two thousand years old. These trees were saplings when Jesus was walking on the earth. Okay, this is amazing stuff. And the Forest Service, in order to preserve the trees, tried to control any sort of natural fire that would happen in the forest. So forest fires are a part of life in the forest in California, but. Because they wanted to suppress, you know, protect the trees, they stopped the forest fires from happening. And so after about 100 years of fire suppression, they realized that the giant sequoia trees were not reproducing. They wor- there were no saplings. And a professor at a local university said, I think I know what we need to do. We need to set fire to the forest. And, you know, of course, the Forest Service is like, you're nuts, what are you talking about, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they finally said, okay, you can set fire to this one section of the forest. And what they realized when this fire was burning in the forest is that the fire was necessary for the giant sequoia trees to loosen their seeds from their pine cones that were 200 feet above the canopy. They wouldn't reproduce without fire. The, the underbrush of the forest had become so thick that even if a, even if a seed hypothetically could have fallen to the forest floor, it would have had absolutely no chance of survival because it would have been choked out by all of the birch trees and the poison ivy or whatever they is they have out there. And these little saplings had no, no opportunity to grow. So in trying to preserve these great trees, they hurt the forest. They kept those great trees from becoming great many trees. And we have done this in the church. In trying to preserve our own comfort, we have asked God to play it very safe with us. Do you know, God himself is the fire. If God is the fire, if the Holy Spirit is what comes into the church and burns, have we let him? Or have we tried to play it safe to preserve our comfort, to preserve my comfort zone that we've said, Holy Spirit, you're such a nice idea. And I appreciate your wanting to be involved. But we're about to have a potluck. And even though you want to move in the service, we've got to go eat some chili. And there's gorillas in there. And they're going to start throwing that chili around. <laughs> so, girls, we need to welcome the Holy Spirit. We need to, why? Why do we need to welcome the Holy Spirit? Because, once again, it's not about me. And it's not for me, it's about God. And it's for God. And when I trust God with my heart, when I believe who he is, that he's high and lifted up, I say to God, fill me with your presence, all of me. Use me in the body broken and poured out, walking in the giftedness that you've given me to serve the body, to give away to the body. Because that is the way that you are glorified. That is the way that you're honored. We're going to go into a time of communion together. And in this time of communion, your small group leader is going to take, like, as you see, when your small group leader gets up, and small group leaders just do this one, one group at a time, you follow your small group leader. And your small group leader is going to serve you communion. And when she looks at you in your beautiful eyes, and she says, this is the body of Christ, broken and poured out, I want you to see yourself there. That as we do this in remembrance of the broken body of Jesus on the cross, that we also embrace the idea that God is calling me to be broken and poured out within the context of this community. Let God minister that to your heart. I am not going to pretend to completely understand this concept. But let's together allow God to speak that truth into who we are. What does it mean for me to be broken and poured out? What does it mean for me to be filled with the Spirit of God and that when I am broken and poured out, what pours out of me is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Each one of you is significantly gifted. As I get to know you better, I'm amazed that we are in community, that God lets me be around such amazing ladies with a heart for orphans, with a heart for community, with a heart for the poor, a desire to make people laugh and just a smile at the end of the day. Whatever it is that God has given you, I'm amazed. You know, to go into school every day and love on kids who are home fatherless. You ladies are amazing because God has called you to himself. And he's filled you with his spirit. The invitation today is to say, God, here I am, broken and poured out. Minister to people through me. Let me pray. And then Melissa is going to come up and sing an amazing song. And um, y'all, do you want to do something else? Sounds good. Father God, we come before you today humbled that you would choose a wretch like me humbled that you would call us today to be broken and poured out, to say, Jesus, that you, you were broken and poured out first, that you continue to be broken and poured out through the church and the world. God, I pray. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us. I pray that you would make room for yourself in us and that you would burn away the dross and the things that keep us from walking in true intimacy with you and that you would um, renew us today in our hearts. God, I ask that you would stir up giftings in this group. Father, I pray that these women, each one, that they would see that they have special gifts of your spirit. Father, I pray that you would manifest the gift of healing on some of our ladies, that you would manifest the gift of, of prophecy, of helps, of administration, of um, language. Father, I pray that you would stir up in our ladies' um, gifts that will edify the body. Father, I pray for our men. Oh Lord, I pray for our men. God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would call them to be broken and poured out for the body of Christ. Father, I pray that the men of our church would, would lead in brokenness. Father, I pray that they would lead filled with your Holy Spirit's presence. Father, I pray that David would just be raised up to be a man broken and poured out before the community, setting an example of what it means to give it everything he has. Father, thank you so much for men of our church god i just i just ask that right now as you stir up in us a desire to know you better a desire to see you high and lifted up a desire to really live out this life with you a desire to not just be pew sitters but to be kingdom builders father i pray that you would stir that in the men of sojourn god speak this word to david speak the word to david to give him to carry this ball to the finish line Lord, we love our pastor. We commend him to you. A man um, full of your spirit, Father, I pray that you would give him wisdom and courage to continue to lead. God, we want you to do this in all of us. I love these women, but we love the men of sojourn, and we love the children of sojourn. And God, would you do that in our children? Would you stir up in them giftings from your Holy Spirit? Would you teach them to pray, to be warriors in prayer? Father, I pray that our preschoolers would be warriors in prayer. Father, I pray that they would be, you would be boys and girls who, who know how to pray, who go to prayer. I thank you that I see you doing that in my own son. I pray that you would do that in all of our sons and daughters. God, would you do what only you can do? Would you do what only you can do, God? And Would you let us be a church that with strong hands lifts up the name of Jesus in our city. That we would see people come to salvation. Father, we don't want to be those giant sequoia trees that bear no fruit. And we don't just want spiritual gifts and we don't just want the fruit of patience, joy, love, kindness. We want the fruit of conversion in our city. God, we want people saved. We want people to be called out of darkness and into light. And would you use us as that kind of community? Would you let us love each other so much that the world around us would see the extraordinary love of God and that they would want some of that. Broken and poured out, in Jesus' name, amen.